Pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and for the privilege of being a free people who have free access to your word. Father, let us not take that freedom lightly. Let us be diligent to be students of your word, Father, so that we might not just know what you've had to say, but to take it to heart and be people who live by what you have to say. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, we started a little series of conversations about our place in a healthy church by looking at seven letters in the book of Revelation uh, from Jesus through the Apostle Paul to places that had various levels of struggle and various specific aspects of those struggles. And uh, we were starting through with that a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we interrupted this program to talk uh, about uh, the, the place where we are as a church family and where we need to go in the future and the mindset that we need to adopt in order to make that happen. And if you haven't had a chance yet to go back and listen to that message, let me encourage you to do that, not that because I think it's stunningly eloquent, but because I really believe it captures the heart of where we are and where we need to be. So I would encourage you to do that. You can access that either through the website or through our podcast. And, um, and, uh, and, and take the time to do that, if you would. This week, we're going to pick back up our series, Our Place in a Healthy Church, by looking at the another letter from Jesus through the Apostle Paul to a particular place at a particular time to the church in Smyrna. Smyrna. I like that, Smyrna. You can, it's the modern-day city of Izmir in Turkey. And this message today could be summed up in two words, and I'll give you those two words, and then after I've given you those two words, you're going to wonder, well, if it can be summed up in two words, why would we need to listen to any more words about it? Which is a reasonable question, but then I'd feel like a slacker if I just gave you two words and left, although, you know, lunch is appealing too. So, you know, I'm torn about this, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll do the whole thing even after I give you the two words. The two words are stay tuned. Now, sometimes when you're watching a television program, and you're watching the clock tick away, and you realize they've only got about six minutes left in the hour, and you realize they've built this horrifically complicated situation from which they couldn't possibly extract anybody in six minutes. You just know what's coming. That little message at the end of the program, stay tuned, join us next week where we complete the story, and you go, rats. Or sometimes if you're watching a film franchise unfold, like... Uh, like uh, uh, Spider-Man or Batman. I know you all are way too sophisticated for these things, but indulge me for a moment. Spider-Man or Batman or any of those other franchises of movies, you know when they end the film, it's not real. The story's not really done. There is more to come. There's You've got to stay tuned. Well, when Jesus speaks to the church at Smyrna, his primary message is stay tuned. I know things look like they're in a bit of disarray right now, and I know things are a little complicated right now, and I know it's not exactly feeling like it's working out the way you would want it to work out, but stay tuned. The story's not over. He's not done with his work. He wasn't done with his work in the church in Smyrna. He's not done with his work in you and me. He's not done. He says, stay tuned, and particularly when we face trouble or trial or difficulty, and it seems like it can go on and on and on and on and on. The physicians have a word to describe illnesses like that. They call them chronic. They just don't relent. They don't give up. They don't remit. They just keep going and, 
going and going, and in the middle of it, people can suffer for years and years and years and years and years, and you feel like that's all that there is. But Jesus says, no, that's not all there is. If you're a believer, that's not all there is. He says, stay tuned. So he starts this morning in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, with verse 8 on page 868 in the Pew Bible in front of you. He says this, and Jesus is speaking to John. John is essentially at this point taking dictation from Jesus. And he says this to the angel of the church in Smyrna. I don't know if he said it like that, but I like to say it like that. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. I don't know if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, but I showed you that there's a pattern in these letters in the book of Revelation. And I've unpacked that pattern for you in the notes section of your program. There's, there's, a, there's a bit of a pattern that goes on. Jesus usually tells some things about himself. He, he commends some things in a particular place. He finds some things to critique usually and a reason why. And he talks about consequences. And then he usually ends with this Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what's going on. Pay attention to what's happening. So that pattern is, it generally holds true. But Jesus is going to break that pattern a little bit today in the church at Smyrna. And we'll see how he does that in just a minute. But first, verse 8, there is a little bit more about Jesus. Now, you may know somebody in your circle of acquaintance or your family or your friends Somebody who always has to get in the last word. Do you know anybody like that? Preach it, sister, brother. You know somebody like that, don't you? It doesn't matter what has happened and how profound what you have said in response to their questions or concerns. When you're finished, they're going to say, yeah, but, and they're going to continue on because they have got to get in the last word. Sometimes try this little experiment just for fun. When they're done with whatever they're saying, which they think is the last word, say something else. It will compel them to drive themselves to the place where they have to say yet another last word. You can play this game for hours and hours because there are some folks who just cannot relent from having the last word. But the truth from Scripture is when we're all done babbling our little babblings, when we're all done profounding our profundities and being wise and spouting our wisdom, when we're all done with that, Jesus really is the one who has the last word. He is the first and the last. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of the Greek alphabet. He is the one who ultimately will finally say, we're done talking now. You're done babbling now. Your words, as fine as they have been, they're over. You've used up your allotment because now, Jesus says, now I'm going to start speaking. He was and is the beginning 
And then Jesus, the living word, gets the last word because he is the last word. And in this passage, he points to the resurrection event to prove that. And this is a good thing to remember, to hold on to, when things seem like they're heading in the wrong direction. And we're going to kind of hold on to this notion for a little bit later. But, you know, when you're ordering something online or you are purchasing something in the store with a debit card or a credit card, and I'm not recommending spending money on credit cards. I'm just illustrating a point here, so don't leave here saying, well, Howard said we could use our credit card. Because you have to pay it. They will come collecting, and they will have the last word about your credit card. But on the back of your credit card, I have one here in my wallet. No, you may not use my credit card. On the back of the credit card, there's a little three-digit number. Have you ever noticed that little three-digit number? This is the verification code on the credit card. This is the number after you've given them all the information, after you've entered into the 22-digit credit card number, and you've given them the expiration month and the expiration year, year, and you've spelled your name exactly the way it is on your billing address, because if you don't, they'll redirect the card. And after you've put in your billing address, what they really want is those three numbers. Because those three numbers are the guarantee that your card is really your card and that you're really the person that you say you are and that you really have the authority to spend money. Well, folks, the resurrection is the verification code. On the work of Jesus Christ, it is the thing that says that everything that he said and everything he did was genuine was true. You can take it to the bank. And that's why John here, as he's listening to Jesus, he points us to the resurrection. And he says, if you don't believe that Jesus has the last word, remember, he was raised from the dead. The boy was dead. Dornail dead. Crucified dead. Stabbed dead. Crown of thorns dead. Scourged and whipped, dead. Dead, dead, dead. But then he rose again. And when, when that tombstone was kicked out from the cave entrance and resurrection power swamped that place, that was God's way of saying, here's my boy and you better pay attention. Because everything he said and did was true. The resurrection. We hold on to that. We take it to the bank. But in this case, with this little church at Smyrna, there is no word of critique here for this church. This church and the church at Philadelphia that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks, these are the only two churches in this cast of seven that have no word of particular critique about them. So what Jesus is saying is he looks in and on them he's saying, good for you. Man, good for you. If we were in Australia, they'd say, good on you, mate. You don't like my Australian accent? I don't think I can. We were in a, an outback a while back. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, we happened to have a server who was actually from Australia. So I said, well, this is pretty cool. The manager must like that you're here. 
He said, oh, yeah, he loves it because I talk in my accent and people think it's really great. And I said, but it's we both know, right? I'm talking to the waiter guy. We both know Australian food doesn't taste anything like this, does it? He said, no, it pretty much stinks. <laughs> but in verse 9, Jesus says to Smyrna, good job. Thank you for what you've done. I appreciate your perseverance. I appreciate you hanging in there. Now, just as an aside, this little city of Smyrna, that's the only thing you're going to remember, Smyrna. This city was a thriving, wealthy city. It was a center of emperor worship. It was a place that had been given permission to to uh, be the first Roman city to celebrate emperor worship in that, that province of Asia Minor. It was also a, a glittery boom town. It's like a combination of Vegas and Rome. And if you weren't willing to worship the emperor there, trouble, trouble, trouble. And these folks at Smyrna had had that trouble, and Jesus commends them for hanging in there during those afflictions. Now, this was serious trouble. This wasn't the minor inconvenience that you and I characterize as trouble. Once again, this morning, I was at Dunkin' Donuts stopping to get my iced tea. And I got there, and in line, there is the person who having after having stood in line for 10 minutes at least, still doesn't know what kind of donuts they want in their dozen donut box. And so I'm standing there, and she goes, yeah, I'll have a dozen donuts. Okay, what kind? Yeah, let me, um, no, 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 no. Yeah, let me have, yeah, yeah. Let me have one, and no, you know when they start with one, you're going to be there a very long time. It's no, give me a half dozen glaze and a half dozen Boston cream and call it good. No, it's give me one. And you know, eight minutes later, I'm going, are you kidding me? How complicated can this decision be? You just want to whack them in the side of the head and say, I will order your donuts for you. And you will take what I give you and be pleased with it. Because frankly, we both know you don't know what you want anyway. So, you know, inconvenience at Dunkin' Donuts. Article in Christianity Today recently. Real live, no kidding, honest empirical research that demonstrates that you, if you are a person of faith, you are A, less likely to get the job you want, and be less likely to be promoted into a promotion you, you might deserve just by being a believing person, which we've suspected for years and years and years, but some university, using your taxpayer dollars, no doubt, studied it and found out that it was true. Thousands and thousands and thousands of resumes. If there was any inkling in the resume that the person was a person of faith, Involvement in some faith-based nonprofit or active in a church or any of those things, their opportunity to get the job or get the promotion went down, significantly so. But really, that's not what's going on here in Smyrna. What's going on here in Smyrna is more like what's going on right now in the Middle East. 
where people with very dark hearts are doing things like beheading Christians and other religious minorities. And not the clean guillotine cut, it's over in a second beheading either. No, this is short, daggered, ragged edge, carve the head off the body beheading. Now that's persecution. And it's similar to the kind of thing that is happening in this church of Smyrna at this time. And Jesus says, I know it's been tough, man, but you've been hanging in there and God bless you for that. God bless you for hanging in there when it's tough. God bless you for being people who have been willing to look persecution dead in the eye and say, I love Jesus, I can't help that. And it wasn't just the physical imprisonment and the physical torture and the physical death, but these people were no kidding dirt poor because they couldn't with good conscience enter into any of the commerce that characterized that city. They couldn't do it. So Jesus says, I know you're poor, and I get it. Because Jesus was poor. We forget that Jesus was a poor guy. He and the wandering band of misfits, the remedial boys, toured the countryside, but they didn't have a giant bus, nor even a Hummer limousine, nor people waiting on them hand and foot wherever they went. There were days and days and days where Jesus' words, right? I don't have any place to lay my head. Jesus, we gussied him all up and made him fancy and put him in pictures and put backlighting behind him, and we tend to think he was some kind of first century celebrity, but he was dirt poor. So when he says to people, I know that you're poor, he knows that they're poor. And he says, but... Listen, you are spiritually rich. You may not have material things in the way that you think you want or the way the culture advertises that you need. iPhone 6 came out. I've got a stinking iPhone 5. Man, that's how we think. They're spiritually rich. When economists measure an economy, they measure production of what they call durable goods. These are goods that are capable of withstanding wear and tear over time. And an order of durable goods is a significant measure of the indication of a health of an economy. So when they're talking about durable goods, they're talking about things like washing machines and refrigerators and cars. I bought a 1998 Saturn in 1998 at the end of the year, model year closeout. Brand new car, durable goods. 500 miles later, it died. I'm talking dead in the door, dead doornail type dying. The engine froze up and crispy creamed itself. And I called the dealership. I said, listen, you know, my car died. What do you mean it died? I mean it died. Well, did you do something wrong to it? What could I have done to it in 500 miles besides drive it off a cliff that would make it die? So they came and replaced it. Even the things that we think are durable are not really durable in the way Jesus describes durability. 
So we have to have an appreciation for spiritual things, things that really can sustain the test of time, the kinds of things that are really durable. Prayer, folks, is durable. Encouragement, folks, is durable. A gentle word spoken in a time of need or despair, that's durable goods. Sharing our faith, even with our motley crew from yesterday, that's durable. Sacrificial love, that's, that's durable. So Jesus says, I, I know you don't have much in your pocket now, but look at what you do have. And those things are durable even when it's not smooth sailing. And Jesus says, I know you've had a tough time recently, but guess what? Verses 9 through 11, guess what? There's more coming. Really, In the near term, it's not going to get any better for these folks. Most of these folks who became believers in the church at Smyrna lived and then died under a period of intense persecution and poverty. It really wasn't going to get physically or materially any better for them. So these these folks in Smyrna, they were harassed in the present by religious people, by those who claimed to be people of faith, but really were, Jesus calls them, a synagogue of Satan. Do you see that in verse 9? They had been talked about badly, and they had been disparaged, and they had been insulted for being people who believed in Jesus. And as if that present suffering wasn't enough, in verse 10, there's going to be more. It's likely that that phrase 10 days in verse 10 is a, is a figure of speech. It's a, it's a representative period to demonstrate the relative short period of persecution compared to the eternity with Christ. And Jesus says, hey, don't be afraid. Even if you're punished, even if you're imprisoned, don't be afraid. The Apostle Paul put it this way in the passage that Conrad read for us, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. This is our problem here. This is our problem. As we live in the year 2014, this is our problem. We fix our eyes on what we can see, not on what we can't see. We fix our eyes on the tangibility of stuff in front of us. We fix our eyes on those images on the screen that flash by us as we recoil in horror at some of the things that we see. We fix our eyes Thursday night, Wednesday night. Laura and I were in my study here, and on that corner right there, that corner right there, the police stopped and arrested some fugitive from Syracuse, New York. And when I say stopped and arrested, I mean 20 police officers, guns drawn, pointed at this guy saying, Get out of the car! There's a real-life scene out of law and order. And that's what we fix our eyes on. Because if, in case you haven't noticed, there's trouble out there. There might be trouble in here. But Paul says, knock it off. He, 
rehearses his own resume of stuff that he's gone through. And he says, hey, you know, it's not always been smooth sailing. And he says, but I don't fix my eyes on that. I fix my eyes on what is eternal, what lasts forever. Eugene Peterson in the message put it this way. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times. Yes. Smyrna, yes, the best is yet to come. Yes, the best is yet to come. And what is that best that's yet to come? Verse 10, here it is. Jesus here calls it the crown of life. This is athletic imagery. This is a reward given to the champion. At the Red Sox home opener this year, the players and staff were given their 2013 World Series rings. Each one of these rings reportedly cost over $30,000. I am not making that number up. Each ring, exactly the kind of ring I got Laura when we got engaged. <laughs> well, there aren't going to be any World Series rings for the boys this year. But that home opener... That moment was a moment that reminded them that they had persevered and won and were champions in 2013. Jesus says, take that image, take that picture, multiply it 10 million times, and you're still not there yet with both the quality and the quantity of those who love Jesus and are called according to his purpose. And among those rewards, of course, in verse 11 is our own resurrection. You and me, if we believe in Jesus, you and me will be resurrected. And when we're resurrected and when we get those new bodies, they're going to work a lot better than the ones we have right now. Yay. You won't have to pack a medicine bag with you to go to heaven. You don't need any ibuprofen or Tylenol or stronger pain meds or blood sugar medication or you thyroid medication. You name it. You don't, you don't have to take any of that with you because Jesus will remake us there. And he's saying to these folks at Smyrna, I know it's tough right now. And it looks like it's going to be tough for a while yet, but hang in there, circumstances of any kind, job, school, work, family, life, illness, they don't get the last word. Jesus gets the last word. So in verse 11, he says, stay tuned, will you? Listen up, will you? You cannot even imagine what's coming next. As fun and as fanciful and as delightful and as creative and as full of colorful imagery as your imagination might be, you can't even imagine what's coming. It's got to wait a little while. Two weeks ago, Two Vietnam War soldiers, one still living and one who had been killed in action, received the Medal of Honor in a White House ceremony. 
Army Command Sergeant Major Benny Adkins survived his injuries and was there to have the medal draped over his neck by the President of the United States. You served with valor. You made us proud and your service is with us for eternity. He'd been drafted into the Army at age 22 and during his second combat tour in 1966, a large North Vietnamese force attacked his camp and for 38 hours, Atkins fought in close combat against enemy forces as he dragged wounded soldiers to safety. When the order was finally given to evacuate camp, Atkins refused to leave his comrades behind. It took the United States government decades to figure out that this guy had served honorably and courageously in very, very tough times, but he finally got the recognition he deserved. And I don't know when Jesus is going to say time's up, and I don't know when he's going to call this existence we have to an end, but that's when, that's when, that's when we hear, good for you, good for you. I don't know what little dark cloud is following you around today. Whatever your personal weather system is that's causing lightning and thunder and trouble and rain in your life, I don't know what it is, but Jesus is the maker of the weather. And there will come a moment when he will break through and when the S-O-N sun will shout from one end of creation to another, good for you. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the words that Jesus gave to Smyrna, and we thank you for this message of encouragement during difficult times, and we thank you that the word is true. Help us to hold on, Father. Help us to view this life as the temporary thing that it is. That we might wait faithfully for Jesus to say, good for you. Come on home. It's time. We pray in his name. Amen.